Hey, Family Church, how are we all doing? Hope you're all okay. Um, You join us here today in the middle of a series. Um, Last week, uh, we started a series, What Are You Carrying? Um, um, And and we looked at some of the things that in life we can be carrying. Um, and And I spoke specifically on a couple of scriptures that Jesus said what we should carry, yet sometimes we, we often carry other stuff that we shouldn't. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 29, that we should take um, his yoke upon ourselves and learn from him. He said that he's gentle, he's humble in heart, and we will find rest for our souls. They asked us to carry almost this yoke of relationship with him. And then we looked at that other verse in Matthew 16, 24, that says, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Um, and then I looked at the topic of anxiety and, and depression. And, and if you haven't um, looked at this one yet, please go back and kind of have a listen to that one first. But we looked at um, worry, overthinking and fear. We looked at how those things grip our hearts and cause an anxiety. Um, and we end up carrying it with us, you know, without sometimes even realizing. We just think, oh, why is life like this? And actually we're carrying loads of stuff in our hearts, loads of fear, loads of worry, loads of kind of anxious thoughts about what tomorrow might, might bring. But actually God's word says, do not worry for tomorrow. So, um, yeah, go back and have a listen to that. But today we want to carry on in the second part of this um, series of what you carry in. And I want to look at um, a couple of words uh, that I'm sure in some ways we've all dealt with. Um, and that's shame and guilt. Um, what is shame? Shame is a painful feeling or of humiliation. Um, it's all distress caused by a consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. You know, I'm sure in some ways we've all felt shame before. Um, I just want to quickly go back to my life. Um, you know, those at Family Church, you'll know. But hey, if you're not from Family Church and you're listening to this, my life was wild before I knew God. Um, I was caught up in lots of crazy stuff. I had uh, a lot of issues when it comes to um, drugs, drink and all the other stuff that the world throws at you. And my life was um, very warped by the time I was 15, 16, 17 onwards. I, I, I was really, really struggling in life. Things were really falling apart for me. Um, and I started to become a bit of a thief. One of the things that I, 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 I was ashamed of then, if I'm being honest, but just kind of just was a bit loose in the way I lived. And there was this moment in my life, specifically when we think about shame, when I was just out of it, I was off my head and I ended up robbing a house that was my friend's house. I took stuff that from his house that, and I got caught and I'll never forget the feeling of that shame. This is a friend that I, I should never have done such a thing to, that instantly felt regret, instantly felt hurt, but actually immediately relationship was broken because how could this person trust me ever again? And so this was a feeling that I often had to deal with because I was always letting people down. I was always hurting people. I was always um, breaking things and doing things that I shouldn't be doing, you know? And, and I was a thief in, in, in the way in which I lived life, you know, stealing from shops, stealing from whatever I could really. And, and life was just horrible. But that shame that comes with it, you know, you often have to try and bury it down and pretend it's not there, but it always resurfaces that feeling. And, you know, I know so many of us probably have dealt with shame and and sometimes maybe even carrying it right now. And I pray today that we would realize we don't have to carry shame, that it isn't our portion to carry shame in Christ. And the other thing is guilt. 
Um, the guilt is the act of having done something wrong and especially something that is punishable by law, like me being a thief. Uh, the state of one who has done something wrong or a feeling of responsibility of, of wrongdoing. And I've growing up felt that all the time. And I, I just as I was thinking over these thoughts, as you do, spending time with God, like kind of contemplating like kind of what, what, what God's brought you through. I was brought back to a memory of when I got arrested for carrying a 10 inch kitchen knife, which is wild. I know it's crazy. Um, don't worry. I'm, I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. But I was just loose in my mind. I was just a wild person, just a bit crazy. And I remember the police come and arrested me. And, um, and I'd previously got arrested for carrying knives and, and being silly with them before. But this time it was just wild. I, was just, I just reacted out of anger. There was, it was just a, an impulsive reaction. And then the police came, took me away. And I never kind of realized how much trouble I was in until the next day. And I had to go to court a couple of days later and I thought, oh no, I'm in trouble. And I'll never forget the feeling of standing kind of in the courts in the little dock bit, um, thinking on guilt here. I was definitely guilty because they held up the evidence um, and the evidence did not in the, in, you know, in, the, in the light of day, that evidence did not look good on my behalf when they lifted up that in front of uh, everyone else. And I was, that feeling of guilt, oh, it was not good. And I, I remember actually getting a three-year conditional discharge and I left the, I left the court that day thinking, oh, I'm never going to be able to be good in, 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 in for three years. I'm definitely going to end up in prison. And I remember the feeling, the shame, the guilt, all the stuff that comes with this life. You know, we can have one moment where we're feeling good. Life's great. And then we do one thing wrong and it's shame and it's guilt and it's, oh, and then you've got to try and push through until, do you know what? God doesn't want us carrying all this stuff. We were never meant to carry it. You know, and we can be feeling this kind of discomfort and pain when we're feeling um, this guilt, this hurt that we've caused other people. It, it's really like a horrible feeling that sometimes if we're not careful, we carry it with us everywhere we go. Um, and as like I said, none of us like feeling shame. And when I think on the Bible and I think of the, 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 the earliest pictures of this, we go right back to humanity when it began with Adam and Eve. A moment where God set boundaries, he set rules, rules because he loved people, he loved the creation that he made. And he said, don't eat of this, but you can have everything else. Eve then was deceived by the enemy. The enemy then came in and, and, and then Adam and Eve both together walking in disobedience to God. And immediately the Bible says in Genesis 3, when you see this, the fall of man, it says they, they hid themselves from God. Why? Because they were afraid. They saw themselves as naked. They felt shame. They felt afraid. They felt guilty. And that's what guilt does. And that's what shame does. It makes us hide from God. It makes us run from God. And it makes us kind of make our relationship almost like, oh, no, God's not going to love me anymore. I'm going to have to have a one week break with God until uh, I get through this. And then maybe I'll come back to him. That's what Adam and Eve did. And, and, and don't feel bad if that's what you've been thinking or done before, because you know what? People do it. But there's, I want to speak truth into the situation that your life with God doesn't have to look like that. It doesn't have to look like carrying shame and guilt and feeling like you've got to hide from God. In fact, God did an incredible thing by taking it. And I just want to have a look today when it comes to shame and guilt at a couple of people in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, that got things wrong and I think would have felt shame. But we saw our beautiful Savior come in and bring hope. And the first one is in John 8, 1 to 12. 
John 8, 1 to 12, which says, um, and it's actually the woman who was caught in adultery to give an overview. And I'm going to read it all. It says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I mean, that's shameful in itself. I'm sure she felt very, very ashamed of what was going on there. Not only that, then she was brought into a public seminar with the saviour of the world looking at her in the midst of what is a very shameful and guilty moment in her life. Now, Moses in the law, this is the religious people speaking into the situation. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such a person should be stoned. But what do you say? Then they said, testing him, that, that, that they might have something of which to accuse him. So they were testing Jesus. They were trying to get him to fall so they could say, look, he's broken the law. He's broken this. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Love that. Jesus just cracking on doing his thing. I'm sure they were like, what's he doing? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. I'm sure the woman in that moment was panicking, thinking, he's up, Jesus. What's going on? Don't get him to throw a stone at me. But Jesus, knowing all things and full of the grace of God and the wisdom of the Almighty, was speaking at this moment. It says, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised him up, himself up and saw no one but the woman, said to her, Woman, woman, where are, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Isn't that beautiful? What I I love about that is that actually Jesus himself didn't leave the room. Why? Because he was the only one who had no sin. So he was the one who could chuck a stone. According to the law, he was the only one left allowed in that room. Why? Because he had not sinned. So if he wanted to pick a big rock up according to the law, then he was. But what did he do in the midst of her shame and guilt, in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her wrongdoing? He said, where are your accusers? Are they anyone here condemning you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, often the law will remind us of our guilt. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. Remember yesterday, you got it wrong, got it wrong, got it wrong. It screams at you. Guilt, guilt, law, you got it wrong. The law will always tell you that because the law screams that we can't do it ourselves. The law will point a finger and no one likes a finger pointer, do they? Look at him, look at her, look at the way. That's a horrible thing. But the law does that. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. You can't do it. And it points a finger at our wrongdoing. And it also gives us the price we have to pay. If we're going to live to the law, it tells us the, the outcome of what the situation. For me, like I said, standing in that court, it was a three-year conditional discharge. And that was because I got let off lightly. If, I, if they had gone hard on me, I would have definitely gone to prison. Because there was a price to pay for the law that I broke. And that's what the law does. It points a finger at us. You got it wrong. 
But Jesus could see everything and knew every person that got everything wrong because we all do as human beings. There's not one who hasn't sinned and got something wrong. Jesus is above the law, but he never broke it. He never broke the law. But what he does is he causes people to have a revelation that they're broken, that we're all broken. We all need help. We all need a savior. But it's easy to judge, isn't it? It's easy to point the finger at other people and, oh, look at them. But actually, how much of an oak tree do we have in our own eye when it's just a bit of speck of dust in others? We all need Jesus's forgiveness and we all need in some way, uh, we all in some way can end up carrying guilt and shame for the things that we've done. But Jesus doesn't want us to carry that. He doesn't want us to keep walking with it. I believe today you can take off the rucksack of shame and guilt and stay in that yoke of relationship with Jesus. Don't be reminded of the guilt and shame. Romans 8, 1 and 4, Paul says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he condemned sin in the flesh in order that that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the reality, that you do not have to live according to the flesh any longer, because Jesus paid the price. You do not have to be condemned with guilt and shame, because Jesus paid the price. And he isn't pointing a finger at you today, saying, look what you got wrong. The Bible says, as far as the east is to the west, so far your sins have been removed. Gone. Gone. The only one that wants to remind you of the sins that you've made is the enemy. And he doesn't get to have that because you've got authority over him and every voice that rises itself up against you. You have the, 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 the control, like we learned last week about uh, taking thought, taking captive every thought. You don't have to allow those accusing thoughts to come in of the shame and the guilt that you got wrong. I'll put my hands up. There's so much shame and guilt that I could dwell on if I wanted to. But I'm going to choose to look at the goodness of God. I'm going to look at his forgiveness and his love and his mercy. I'm going to look to the cross that I'm carrying and let the cross remind my shame and guilt that it no longer has a place in my life. Come on, we need to stir ourselves and realize that shame and guilt cannot stop us from moving forward in God. There's one last character that I love, and he's one of my favorite characters, a couple in the Bible. John's probably up the top, but the second in quite close is Peter. Peter's kind of in some ways, he's a fiery character. You get that from the words he uses in the way in which he kind of jumps a bit fast at things and probably doesn't think a lot about things. And um, he has a moment where I think he's dealing with regret. He's dealing with probably feeling guilty, even though he isn't guilty, he just feels probably guilty and a bit shameful. And we're going to look at this in, in John 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? So here's Simon, uh, Peter asking Jesus, where, where, where are you going? Like, this, Jesus is talking about him going to heaven. You know, this is, this is a moment here where Jesus is revealing something. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This is the bit where Peter's like, Mr. Mr. Emotions, I'll lay my life down for you. Freedom, don't worry, like he's full on. Like, I'll get that with Peter. I'm probably a little bit like that as well. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, 
I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Wow, what a boom. Here's Peter giving it the big one, like, come on, I've got you, Jesus. And Jesus knows the heart of Peter. He knows he's, he, he, he's full of that emotion and stuff, but he knows also in the heat of the moment, he's going to disown him three times. Peter thought he was ready to lay his life down. He genuinely believed that, and I think he did, in his emotions. But Jesus always saw the bigger picture. And I think back to my own life. How many times I'm in the midst of some amazing worship, Jesus, I'm giving it all for you. I'm giving it all. I'm going to lay my life down. And we're, and we're, we're doing this kind of like thing, and, and we're giving it all at the front of the church and, or wherever we might be in this moment. And then Monday morning comes at work, and, you know, the conversation might come up and we just feel really nervous about talking to people about Jesus. Let, you know, even church. Oh, yeah, yeah, I had a good weekend. And we, we, we come crumbling down and we instantly feel like, oh, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know. I'm sure we've all been there where we've in a moment just stayed quiet. It's easy to stay quiet. Oh, I'm not going to bring up that conversation. I'm not going to think. But we actually walk away feeling a bit, oh, God, I let you down. Oh, God, I, I got that wrong. Oh, God, I, I, I mucked up a little bit here. And do you know what? With, with, with Peter, this is what happened. You know, when Christ went to the cross, they said, there's one who is with him. And Jesus, Peter denied him. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And three times the rooster crowed. And there's probably a sinking feeling that came on him because he probably, you know, he remembered what Jesus said. And that shame and that guilt and that probably frustration that came upon his life of why? Why wasn't I able, why wasn't I able to stand up for my friend? And, uh, but you know what? The story doesn't end there. And the story doesn't end with your shame and guilt today. It doesn't end with you getting it wrong. It ends much greater than that. John 21 through verses 1 to 14. And we won't read all of this today, but to give you the context of what happens here. This is after Jesus has died, the very end of the gospel of John. Um, Jesus has appeared a few times, but it says in verse 1, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Peter, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee, there was two of them, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So here we see them. You know, Jesus is no longer there next to him every day. Their situations changed very much, and they found themselves back in the normality of normal life. And Peter's probably crippled with that moment where he's probably thinking, Oh, what did I do? Uh, I denied. And he's found himself back where Jesus first found him. He's back fishing. He's back on the boats. And, you know, some people say that, you know, Peter kind of went back in his old ways of living and decided to. I've heard another preacher once say that actually he went back to fishing because it was a reminder of where he first fell in love with Jesus. So whatever the theology around it is, I don't know. But this is what I do know, that, that Peter was found fishing. He was found back where he once was and he was doing those things that were kind of normal life again. And, you know, the, the walking with Jesus for the last three years is kind of no longer there. And he's found himself just in the normality of life. Back to fishing with his mates. And it isn't going very well. He's not catching anything either. That's the funny thing. That they're not having a good day's fishing. They're having a bad day's fishing. But then it says in verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he called out, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he goes, throw your net the other side and you'll find some. Jesus, the providers, stepping back into their world to show them that he's there. And it goes on to say, um, as they said, um, 
then in verse 7, sorry, it says, The disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. Here's a moment where Peter's realizing his saviour's here. His friend that he denied, his friend that he probably felt so guilty for rejecting had come back. He was here again and he jumped out of that boat and he ran back to the one that loved him. You know, I love this because actually it's a picture of our own life, isn't it? That how often do we find ourselves, like I said earlier, we feel shame and guilt. And so we then recluse back to normal living for a moment. But Jesus is always on the shore of your life calling you. He never left you nor forsaken you. The Bible says that he doesn't do that. He's not here one minute and then gone the next. He's always with you in the midst of your mistakes, in the midst of the the worst, darkest days of shame and guilt. This is what I want to say, that Jesus is still with you and his forgiveness runs for you. His blood still runs for you. He's calling to you not to run from him, but to just as Peter did, run to him regardless of whether there's water in the way, whatever it may be, is to get out the boat of normal living, regret, shame has no portion, and run to the shore and meet with him. Your forgiveness lies there. Your, your acceptance lies there with him, Jesus, your saviour. We even see it on the cross, just to finish this in, that in the moment on the cross, Jesus, as they were killing him, he spoke forgiveness. See, in the midst of our guilt and shame, the greatest words that we can hear is you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And every day I want you to know that God is speaking over you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven and loved. You're forgiven. And in the midst of that grace and that mercy enables us to make the right decisions to never want to go back in that place of darkness again, where we make the same recurring mistakes of falling into sin and feeling shameful and guilty. Do you know what? His forgiveness empowers us to keep running forward and be motivated to keep running forward in all we do. Even, the, even when I think of the, um, of the thief on the cross, you know, that thief in a moment was re- received forgiveness, though he was guilty of what he did. Jesus wasn't, the thief was. In that moment, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you know what? Forgiveness. Jesus will forgive and forgive and forgive, even if we are guilty. And hey, let's be real. We are all guilty of something, right? So my prayer for you today, church, is that actually, regardless of what the shame or guilt or the mistake you've made is, however big it feels, by faith, I want you today just to say, God, no longer am I going to walk by shame. No longer am I going to carry the guilt and the shame of my past. And I'm no longer going to let the shame and that, that guilt dictate my future. Instead, God, I want you to have control of my future. I want you to paint the picture of my future. I'm no longer carrying it. I'm going to carry my cross and I'm going to carry that yoke of relationship into all that you have for me. Amen. Well, I hope you feel encouraged um, and inspired. And listen, do all you can do to run after him. Amen. Have a great day.